0: going everybody welcome to another episode of ostino sports talk i hope you guys had an incredible valentine's day and i hope you guys had some incredible treats along the way but boy let me tell you i have an incredible treat for you guys today former stockton ports play-by-play broadcaster and current university of pacific men's basketball and reno aces play-by-play broadcaster zach bayruti i've been wanting to have you on for a while welcome to the show and uh, tell us how you're doing man
1: Thanks Austin. I'm doing well. Um, it's been an odd season, but we're getting, we're getting through basketball season. Uh, my wife and I just had our first, uh, our first child a daughter back in December. So that's kind of been, uh, on the radar first and foremost, the last couple of months, but, uh, everything is great. And, and I'm just hoping now we can get some, some baseball in here in a couple of months.
0: Yeah. I know, I know keeping busy is uh, definitely not a problem that you've had recently, even with COVID going on. So that's good for you. Um, yeah, for, just for everyone who's listening, I actually, back in eighth grade, uh, this is how I kind of met and kind of was introduced to Zach. It was, uh, I had a career class, and the teacher basically knew that I was into sports and came up to me and was like, hey, there's going to be a play-by-play broadcaster coming in a few weeks. And I was like, really? What? Tell me when, where, why, how.
1: Charlie Honor, give a shout out to Mr. Honor.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly blanked on his name. I was trying to think of it for the last half hour, but thank you for that. Um Yeah. So I basically was really excited. He let me know when you were coming in. And then after you came in, I actually went to a Stockton Ports game, which is the single A affiliate for the Oakland A's. And he basically let me come into the booth. I watched him announce and I think I was probably, I don't even know, let's see 11 or 12 at the time. And it was just really awesome. And it, it kind of made me even want to break into the sports industry more. So thank you for that. And that's kind of how I met Zach, just so all of you guys know. Um,
1: Which was really cool, by the way. I, I really enjoyed when you came out after the class. Like, it, it's always neat to, if you're a speaker somewhere, you know, to, to kind of connect the dots with, with the people you're you're talking with. So it was cool to have you out of the ballpark that day. I remember it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. All right, cool. So I just kind of want to dive in. You know, let, let's start kind of at a very young age. Um, you know, I know you grew up on the East Coast. Obviously, it, it's pretty easy to become a sports fanatic growing up on the East Um, so kind of growing up as a kid, tell me about what sports you played and how that kind of led to you wanting to not necessarily pursue, uh, playing a sport, but maybe just pursue breaking into the sports industry specifically. How did that all kind of line up for you?
1: So, I mean, I I played basketball and baseball primarily growing up. I never really, my, my dad kind of messed up his body playing football. So I, you know, from a young age, I knew. It probably wasn't for me and I, I don't think my dad ever wanted us to play football because it was just it didn't end end well for him so you know our friends in the neighborhood uh you know we play we would play football in the backyard don't get me wrong like I love football but I, I just never really put on helmet and pads because I was always afraid to to wind up like my dad with five knee surgeries and all that so uh you know played uh, mostly basketball and baseball and and followed the Red Sox and the Celtics and I really just, I just loved it. Like I couldn't get enough of it at school. It's all I thought of. Um, and I, of course g- you go home at night and you, you watch a Red Sox game or you go to bed. If the Red Sox are on the West coast and you, the only way you can get around your bedtime is you listen on your little radio. You know, uh, I don't know if kids do that anymore. They probably do it on their phones, but I'd, I'd tune into the radio and. You know, if the red Sox are playing the angels in Anaheim, like it's a 10 o'clock start on the East coast. So I would just kind of huddle up and, and listen that way. And I, I kind of fell in love with it, uh, from the media side that way. Um, I also read a lot of newspapers that that's a, that was a big thing. Like we always had the newspaper in our house and I would always read the sports section because I followed my teams. I could like follow the storylines through the, the sports writers with the Boston globe and the Boston Herald. So I actually really tried to get into that side of it at first um, in college Um, and i wanted to be a sports writer um, and then i kind of found my way into into broadcasting just uh just by happenstance like i did an internship in in west palm beach florida met someone who was a broadcaster went on the radio with him one time Uh, he invited me to come on and do a game with him we developed a good rapport he ended up becoming the next uh, stocks and ports play-by-play guy and then invited me to come out and, and basically gave me a job right out of college to be his, his assistant and handle a lot of the media stuff. And he left after a year, I fell into his chair. The ports asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, sure. And it's kind of how my, my career was born. It's not, not traditional. Let's say that.
0: Yeah. That kind of leads me to my next question. So you kind of talked about how you wanted to be a sports writer, but. Obviously I've seen you broadcast and you definitely have that energy that you know, the game needs in a play by play broadcaster and you just kind of have that voice. So was that something you didn't discover until you were kind of pushed into the broadcasting industry? Like even before you said, oh, I want to be a sports writer. Did you know kind of growing up that you had that sort of voice or is that something you kind of discovered later in breaking into the industry?
1: Well, thank you. First of all. Uh, And that's, that's actually a good question. Uh, I didn't, I think I'm still finding my voice to be honest. And I think any, anybody that's in, in play by play will probably tell you that. I mean, you can even go probably to some, some guys that are working in major league baseball. And if they listen to their stuff, maybe from five or 10 years ago, they'll tell you that they've evolved and are completely different now. So it's just kind of ever evolving because I listened to it and consumed so much of it as a kid. I kind of knew what it's supposed to sound like. And I kind of knew what I liked and because of my journalism background, I knew how to tell a story, what, what elements are important if you're an audience, um, journalism school really refined me. I went to Northeastern in Boston. Um, so I kind of mixed those two my, my, you know, kid years growing up, listening and consuming all these broadcasts. And then my college years with figuring out the nuances of telling stories and reporting. Um, and being the conduit for people, um, I think that those two kind of mix together and then you're forged in the fire of experience. Like I, I just basically was thrown in and had to figure it out as I went. So, you know, like I said, I, I still figure it out. I think game by game and every game, I think what I love most among other things about my job is that every game presents a different challenge and it can, you can tell a different story. And I, I kind of embrace that and. You know, some games will be better than others, I think a lot of what I do is predicated on how, how, how the game is like, if it's a bad game, you might have a broadcast that isn't tremendous, you know, I mean, you're still going to do a good job but it's just not going to be like, man, I nailed it. But if you have a good game and a good broadcast, like there's, there's no better feeling than that.
0: Yeah. I think that's something, you know, just me and other people that want to break into the sports industry kind of have to realize and that's something that you just brought up is a really good point. And it's like, Even though you, you know, pursuing sports, whatever you want to pursue, if you are going out and pursuing your dream, it's not necessarily going to be easy, it's going to be hard work, it's going to be a grind, but it's just a matter of enjoying that grind and enjoying that hard work. And so you you bring up a really good point there just about, you know, you're going to have those tough games, and you're going to get thrown around into different industries and not really know what you're doing. And then you just kind of build your own journey and uh, Mm -hmm. find your way to where you are. So it's awesome.
1: Never, never lose the passion. You know, it's all about enjoying like you said, the journey. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I go back now, gosh, I've been doing this such a long time. I mean, I can go back a decade and be like, man, I just want to get where I'm going already. And, and now, you know, 10 years removed from those moments. I'm like, I, I really cherish the journey and even those tougher moments, uh, they they make you better.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's that's something I think about all the time right now. I'm just stuck in community college. I'm stuck in my house, I'm stuck online. and. I'm actually transferring to arizona state in fall 21 and that's just something cronkite
1: school is. you're going go to go Jersey? Yeah, i am right. going to the Cronkite school good spot. Yeah.
0: thank you um so yeah for me like right now i'm just telling myself i want to go there can i just fast forward my life to that moment and fast forward to the moment where i can do this a b and c but exactly and you, you bring up mm-hmm. that point where you know it starts right now you know with this podcast or just whatever i do and whatever anyone else is doing through high school and college it, it starts in the present, you know, it doesn't start in the future. So that's awesome. Um, so I just kind of want to talk about throughout high school and college, you kind of knew you wanted to break into the sports industry. I don't know, maybe you did stuff in elementary school, even as early as that, but what were some of the side hobbies that you kind of did to pursue your passion? Did you like record games and just announce them, you know, for fun? Was there anything that you just kind of did as a side hobby kind of growing up into high school?
1: No, no, I, I just, I, I literally was, a fan and I, I consumed everything as a fan. And even even up until my sophomore year in college, like at Northeastern, um, they do what's called a co-op program, meaning that you go for, they were trimesters then, I think they're semesters now, but um, you go and you get an internship for uh, either a semester or two, depending on what it is now. And you're not in school at that time. So you basically go out into the workforce which is how I got an internship in West Palm Beach, Florida. Like I was still in school, but it was part of the co-op program at Northeastern, which was huge. Um, But, you know, because of that, your sophomore year at Northeastern, you basically have to declare what you want to study. Like my first year, I took all kinds of different courses. And my second year, uh, I had to make a decision and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just kind of put the pieces together. I was like, well, I, I love to write. I can, I love reading the news. I love the news and I love sports. So I can basically go to journalism school and maybe I can write and and be a sports writer. Um, you know, because I, I just, I loved consuming that stuff growing up and it was really a passion of mine from being a kid. Like I, I, on my way into high school, like I'd stop and get the newspaper. I was, it was like older people kind of stuff that I used to do. Like I was just an old soul about it. So, um, you know, I declared that my sophomore year in college and, and it really wasn't until then that I started developing hobbies I guess you wouldn't call them hobbies then you, you develop skills that lead you in the right direction so through the classes i took like i i would have to record news updates and go uh report on games that were happening like northeastern university basketball games like i'd be like a student reporter going and filing a story with my professor about that and that's where i learned basic skills so i guess my only growing up like my only <laughs> Uh, My only hobby was consuming sports and and doing it through broadcasts and through the newspaper.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good to hear just because I I know for me, especially I'm I'm on the exact same boat as you up until this podcast. And, you know, I'm on the student newspaper with the community college I go to. But, you know, just being a sports fan and just consuming as much as you can is honestly, I think, enough growing up as a kid to you know break into the sports industry you know once you get into college and you start taking those classes and those skills and you start building that resume obviously that that's kind of where you launch pad but you know just growing up just being a sports fan can be enough if if that passion kind of drives you to the point where you you know pick the college and you pick the degree you want to pursue and you know kind of continue that journey so that that's kind of where i am so it's good to hear
1: i think yeah i think First and foremost, if you want to try and get into this industry, like you have to have a passion for it and some, and maybe that passion fades and maybe at some point you want to do something else. But I can tell you that to, to be able to stick with it and to, to travel that road, you need a lot of things, but you also need to have a, a passion for what you're doing. And I, I've never, I've been fortunate and I've never lost that passion. And, uh, you know, it's even, it's even grown because now it's grown and become a, a skill for me through which I, I am able to, to kind of convey my passion for, for the stories I tell.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that sports fans, avid sports fans as us can kind of, uh, be appreciated for is, it's kind of hard to lose that passion. You know, if you're growing up and you just love sports from the jump, if you want to pursue sports, then I think it's kind of easy to not lose that focus, Just especially for me. I just don't see myself losing interest in sports just because I've been groomed to love it for so long. And I think it's it might be easier to not lose that passion for for sports kind of Going throughout your life,
1: so. You know what, though? Like, it, it's, a, it's a little bit different, though, nowadays, because sports now, and I was thinking about this the other day, um, and this might be off topic for you, but I'll, I'll say it anyways. Uh, like, sports now is just different than sports when I was growing up. Like, when I was growing up, you had, your access was basically the, the broadcasts, you know, radio or TV and the newspaper, whereas now you have direct access basically to these, to the athletes, and it's, everything is just the landscape is so different. So the way that I was molded as a, as a broadcaster and maybe even as a reporter, if you will, it's going to be totally different than the way someone like you is molded and the people that follow you, how they're molded because you're growing up in a, in a different environment um, as far as how everything is presented and how you can access this, the the teams that you love and, and the athletes that you really enjoy watching. So, you know, the style is going to be different and evolving, um, you know, and, and, that's kind of another cool thing about this this field too is that you know i i know I'm, I'm unique in what i do i know people that are my colleagues at the same level they're completely unique in what they do because we're all molded differently so you're going to be molded much differently than someone like me or or people my age which is really
0: cool yeah i think it you know that, i think that's the most important part is everyone kind of gets you know We all have this passion for sports but we obviously all kind of have our own unique journey that you know again molds molds you into who you are and molds me into who i am and everyone who comes before and you know after me i think that's really good stuff so i just kind of want to jump to your transition from the east coast to the west coast straight out of college i think if anything i was actually thinking about this writing this question down before i hopped on with you And if it were me, I think I would rather make an insane jump across the country than to stay where I am because breaking into the sports industry, I feel like is in itself already a very, quote unquote, risky and kind of a dream. So I think, you know, straight out of college, you basically just, you start off on the East Coast, you move all the way across the country. I just think that's an incredible uh, journey for you. And I I don't know, I'm going to let you talk about that, but I was just thinking about that. And I think... As someone breaking into the sports industry, that must've been really cool for you to make an insane jump like that.
1: Well, I'll say this. I was really lucky because if you want, if a lot of times, if you want to make it in this field, you have to be willing, be willing to go anywhere. Like you have to go where you're going to get, get the job. So, you know, you might make one move, you might make 10 moves in, in this field. And for me, I've been so lucky. I mean, my one move was huge and it was scary, but um, you know, since then, I re- I haven't had to go anywhere else, like everything here. Now when I'm I'm going to do the Reno Aces, uh, I was supposed to do it last year, obviously COVID got in the way, but it's going to be my first year. It's going to be a unique situation. I mean, it's only three hours from my house in uh, in Lodi, but you know, we're going to have to work it out and I'll basically kind of be remote for a summer. Uh, but other than that, like I've been very, very lucky uh, to to be in one place, but I will tell you that uh, I've never been as scared in my life as when I was driving cross country to make the move. And I was cool until I got, it's funny enough, I got to Reno and I got so scared at that point because you know, I made the drive with my cousin and it was like, it was like, oh man, we're three hours away and like, this is really happening and I'm, I'm moving. And I just remember being, it, it all hit me then. Um, but in that moment, I feel like I grew so much. Um, you know, I basically saw this fear and I, I took it head on and I was uncomfortable for a little while, which I think is good for anybody, because that's really when you grow, um, you know, as a person and as a professional, and I would advise anyone, especially coming right out of college to, to go where the wind takes you and to go where the job takes you. And even if you're afraid, and even if you know, it's going to be a bit of a hardship, meet it head on and, and do your best and, and, you know, figure it out as you go, because, uh, that, that makes you you'll have just a certain soul about you that that maybe other people wouldn't, you know, that, that choose to play it safe.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I kind of want to touch on because I have a, I have a lot of listeners that are from the West Coast and I have some listeners that are actually from the East Coast and you've kind of been able to live. I mean, you basically lived one half of your life on the East and now you've lived half of your life on the West Coast. So talk about like we, we, we touched on this in the episode we had with you earlier, but just the culture change from you know, being a sports fan on the East coast from being a sports fan on the West coast, because obviously both coasts are huge with sports and obviously. They're, they're extremely different. So talk about kind of that difference you experienced from the East coast going to the West coast.
1: You know, it's funny. Um, I, I would say I, I was a sports fan on the East coast. I was a sports professional on the West coast. So, uh, the East coast kind of gave me my intensity growing up as a, as a sports fan on the East coast, like it's intense. Like they don't play on, on, on talk radio in Boston. Like it's, it's hardcore. Um, you know, they're intelligent, intelligent fans. Like you're, you're always thinking just intensely about, you know, back when I was growing up, it really was the red Sox because the red Sox at that point hadn't won they, they sucked for a while. And it's like, are we ever going to see them win? And, um, you know, I was lucky to see them win that world series the fall before I got into working in sports. So I was like a pure fan at that point. Um, but the West coast is just a different experience. And uh, I've really come to enjoy the way sports is consumed here. It was, it, I didn't like it at first, really uh, the first couple of years I was out here, I was like, man, it's just not like, there's not that intensity. Um, I think I'll always have that intensity about me as far as sports go, but um, it's just, it's consumed a little bit differently out here. And I think in part, because you have so many options, like there's so many local teams, you know, you have two NFL teams, you have an NBA team that's jumped across the Bay. You have two major league baseball teams. You know, I think the sharks are maybe that one team that like the entire Bay area gets behind no matter what. Um, but it's, it's just different. Like I I'm very lucky in that I got the intensity of, of being an East coast sports fan. And then I, I kind of had it mellow a little bit here on the West coast. And I think combining those two elements and experiences together for me, kind of has brought me to, to where I am now and, and how I really, it, 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 it uh, impacts how I call games. Um, you know, just that, that's, that's, that's the best way I can say it. Like my East coast intensity my West coast, like mellow, uh, they come together, I think. And, and I, I think really affect and uh, impact my broadcast, hopefully in a good way.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so I definitely want to jump into, you know, some your your experience with the Stockton ports, obviously you were there for, from 2006, 2019. And I know that, you know, being affiliated with the A's, there were some incredible names that you were kind of able to see play before they blossomed and became studs in the majors. So talk about your experience with the ports and some of those big names that you kind of saw play that either maybe predicted they were gonna break out in the league or maybe some shockers. Just talk about that experience and some of the players that you were able to work with.
1: Well, the experience was phenomenal. Um, I couldn't have asked to be in a better spot and landed in a better spot out of college. Like to spend 14 years doing games at that level, uh, it's unusual, you know, without moving anywhere, but the ports treated me so well when I when I was there for 14 years. and. I had, I was fortunate because of that to have so many experiences and to meet so many of these guys. Um, I mean, gosh, you go back to Sean Doolittle when he was a first baseman on the 2008 team before he blew out his knee and had to become a pitcher. And now obviously, you know, he's the Sean that everybody, everybody knows who's, I think now just been signed by the reds. Um, that was the only Sox and ports championship team, by the way, was, uh, was 2008, um, that, that, that in my, uh, in my tenure, uh, Gosh, I mean it seems it seems because we've had a year off, it seems like so long ago. Uh, I'm trying to think of like of the most recent ones. I mean, a guy like uh Matt Chapman, you know, uh that that team was was pretty incredible. Uh Ryan Healy, Daniel Robertson, Chad Pinder. I mean, the, the list can the list goes on. Uh pitchers, Jesus Lazardo, one of the more recent guys, AJ Puck. Um, among others, and then all the, all the guys that came through as major league rehab assignments, like one time, Mike Piazza, like, do you remember what, do you ever watch Mike Piazza? Had you ever watched him as a kid? Do you remember? So
0: time. it was interesting. I actually didn't really. become make me a baseball feel fan.
1: really old right now. I, right? I am.
0: I am. I, I didn't really become a baseball fan until like 2009, 2010. So I really mm-hmm. didn't see much of him. But obviously, I, I know he's one of the best catchers of all time. I saw a bunch of his highlights. But that—that's crazy. I never knew he, that he went. Through he
1: rehabbed that. in 07 with us, and it was—he hit two home runs in a game, and it, I got to call it. It was—it was really cool. Really, really cool to see a future Hall of Famer. So I mean. Uh, you know, all those experiences and even the guys that you don't know about, um, there were guys that I'll, I'll go to my grave, knowing that in a different, in a different setting, they could have been good major league ball players. Um, you know, and they just, they never really got the chance. Uh, you know, some, some, some people get, uh, get more of a chance than others. And that's something you learn in baseball. Like certain guys have big signing bonuses. They're going to get all the opportunities to fail. Uh, whereas guys that are really talented and know how to grind, they might not get as many opportunities. So there are players that nobody will ever know about that I really got to know and become close with. Um, and those are really some of the more special bonds that I have with with some of the players that came through Stockton.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, was Josh Donaldson on that 08 team? I know he Donaldson went
1: through there. was. Yep, I, I was gonna mention him. He, uh, he got traded middle of that season from the Cubs to the A's. And I was actually the first guy he met when, oh, wow. uh, when, he, when he arrived because uh, we were in Bakersfield. And he basically walked into the lobby of the Days Inn in Bakersfield and was, he had a big Cubs bag and I was the only guy there. And so I was, I was the first guy that, that, uh, that he met, which is a kind of a crazy story and, and it's uh, always a, a fun memory that brings a smile to my face. Like, it seems like ancient history now, but every, anytime I see Josh, I think of that moment and, and how far we both come.
0: Yeah. What an incredible story that is. I, I don't even think you, you touched on that. You might've uh, that, that's incredible. Um, So I just kind of want to talk about, you had so many years with the Stockton Ports and I know I'm not really going to ask you what your favorite game was because I think that might be a a bit of a stretch to answer, but talk about a game or two that just kind of stick in your head in terms of, you know, obviously whether it's back in 2009 or maybe is, you know, 2018, just talk about a game or two that kind of stick in your head that you kind of think of, you know, on a daily basis or just kind of pop up in your head randomly.
1: So there's there are two, two, two ways I'm going to go here. So the first okay. one was the 2008 uh, Cal League North Division Championship Series. It was the Ports and the San Jose Giants. It was a best of five series, and the winner of the series goes to the championship series, which the Ports obviously won. Um, but the Ports, the, the series went five games, so it went the distance. And it was probably the most fun I've ever had in, especially in a series, like I've, I've broadcast a bunch of series now, like that was the, f- that was the best, most fun series to call. Um, the ports had back-to-back walk-off wins at home uh, with uh, facing elimination. Uh, the players in that series were incredible. Uh, Buster Posey had just come up for the San Jose Giants. Uh, he had just been drafted. So uh, he came up and that was his first action in the Cal league. He got run over at home plate in game three of that series, which was why I mean that you know it doesn't happen anymore like this is ancient history like this is making me sound like a dinosaur but like that stuff happened in the minor leagues like yeah. a, a guy like that was the whatever he was the third overall pick he got trucked at home plate by one of the dudes that was just a scrapper on our team and you know he wasn't going to back down and it, it, it I don't think Buster played again after that collision. I think they took him out and they were like, yeah, we're, we're not letting this guy see the field anymore. Uh, yeah, it happened to him in the majors
0: too. That wasn't the first time he got ran over. Here. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a nice precursor of uh, prelude to things oh, to come. But I mean, Josh Donaldson was in that series uh, for the giants. It was, uh, Pablo Sandoval, I think played in that series. Like it was just chock full of good names and even guys that didn't make it were guys that were really, really good at that level, like good impact players and, and genuinely the team's, I think kind of had a disdain for each other. So that was a fun series and it went five games and the ports ended up blowing out the giants in game five in San Jose against a pitcher that had owned them. Um, and it was just exhilarating and a lot of fun. Um, and then the other game, it really stands out in my mind. Uh, it was in 2013. I want to say it was like August 9th, 2013, uh, a guy by the name, of, name of uh, Tanner Peters came two outs away from a perfect game. I, and that was, I to that point, I had never called a no hitter. So, you know, here's this pitcher who was a changeup artist, like, he didn't throw hard, but he's having this incredible run. And the story before I get into the end of that story was that our official scorer called me, a uh, longtime official scorer, Paul Meiskens, called me like an hour before the game started. He says, Hey, I'm throwing up, like, I can't make it in today to score the game. And like, try and find an official score within an hour of a game starting. Like it's, it's, it's tough. So I had to be the official scorer, meaning that I'm the guy that's determining what's a hit, what's an error. And when you're on the hook for oh no hitter or a perfect game, uh, it, it really, I mean, it, it gives you the sweats and I'm trying to broadcast the game, which is an incredible game. And I'm also like on pins and needles. Cause I'm like, if someone kicks a ground ball, I'm going to have to decide if it's a hit or an <sighs> error and it's going to affect everything. So. Uh Tanner lost the perfect game with two outs to go in the ninth. Uh and it was really a, a bummer. I, I, to this day, I wish that it would have ended differently. I left have to change up, up high. Uh and it, it got hit off the wall for a double. It was a clean double, and that's all I could ask for, but I'll never
0: forget calling that game. That is, that is insane. I mean, for you not only to fill those shoes, what, not even an hour before the game, but just to realize the, the meaning behind the game specifically. That must That's, have been... The best
1: part about that is that so the official scorer has to get the scoring decisions into Major League Baseball. Like MLB controls all the box scores and you basically report every half inning to Major League Baseball. Well, I can't get on the phone because I'm doing a game. So I was reporting it through AOL Instant Messenger, which I don't even... I mean i used to have it i don't even have it anymore like i don't know if anyone has it anymore i think they they got rid of it but aim like i i dug up my old account and they were like do you have an aol instant messenger account to do this like that's going to be the best way and i was like yeah i think i do and so i'm like basically instant messaging every play back to new york like it was it was crazy
0: that must make you a great multitasker from that moment on <laughs> that must have been one sure. of the tougher you know multitasking things you've ever had to do but That's an incredible story. Um, Pretty cool. So I kind of want to jump to the year 2019. Pretty big year for you in terms of you basically, you know, you ended your run with the Ports. You obviously got promoted to the AAA level with the Reno Aces. You called an Oakland Athletics game. So I just kind of want you to dive into that and let's talk about that Oakland A's game that you called. How did that kind of come about? And I, I know you touched on this before, so I kind of know a little bit. But just for the listeners, I think this is just an incredible story for you and for anybody out there. How how was that experience, and how did you how did you get that opportunity?
1: The experience was amazing, and I'll get into that on the back end. But um, you know, I will forever be grateful to the A's and to uh, to Vince Catronio and Ken Korak, who are their two uh, primary radio broadcasters, and, and Matt Pearl, who's the director of broadcasting but obviously i'd been in the a system for a while um and i I developed just you know relationships because i'd been there for a while with with vince and with ken and and with matt too um you know to the point where uh you know they they felt comfortable asking me to fill in a game where where ken was going to be off um you know and and this again this only comes over time and and relationships like it wasn't it wasn't anything i really did i was just kind of there um and they were so kind to think to ask me and they knew it would be a big deal for me. So, uh, you know, I, I woke up in Visalia one day in in July of 2019 to a phone call. And it was Matt from the A's who's their director of broadcasting. Uh, and he, you know, basically asked, he said, you know, Ken on September 3rd is going to be out, uh, you know, we'd love it for you to, to fill in and and make your major league debut with us. And would you be, would you be okay with that? (laughs) It's like, I didn't even didn't even like have the words, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know? And so, um, Vince Catronio and Ken Korak were, were really behind it, you know, behind the scenes and behind it all. Like they pushed for me because they were both guys that came up through the minor leagues and they know what a big deal it is. So, um, I'm forever grateful to those guys. Uh, so they called and asked me, and it was like the longest two months of my life waiting, <laughs> waiting for, it was like two months of the day where they called me. So, uh, September 3rd rolls around and, uh, it was, I mean, I'll never forget it. Like I was certainly nervous that morning, but I got a call from, uh, Ken Korak, who's the the number one play-by-play guy on radio. And he just wanted to talk to me and wish me luck. And, uh, it was a special phone call. And, uh, yeah, I drove in and butterflies, you know, as you pull up to the Coliseum, like you're pulling up to a major league ballpark to, to do this, you know, to do something that you've been waiting your whole life to do and you prepared your whole life to do. Um, and, and they could not have been nicer. Like Vince Catronio could not have been nicer to me that day. I mean, he brought me with him to interview Bob Melvin, you know, on the field. brought me with him to talk to everybody, just making me feel like I belong. Um, and then on, on the radio, uh, he was fantastic to me, uh, just made me feel at ease and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, you, I mean, that phone call in July, you basically got you're, you're kind of like a minor league baseball player you got called up to the big leagues, basically, so that that phone call in itself is probably something you'll also never forget. I, think of, I
1: mean, there's not to think about the the number of people that have called Major League Baseball games like it's not a big it's not a big group, you know, so mm-hmm.
0: uh, it's it's you're just honored by it. Definitely. Um So this whole, this whole, let's dive into your Reno Aces stuff. It's been a pretty interesting journey for you, I bet, just because, you know, as soon as that kind of happened, you know, COVID-19 happened. And so talk about how you've kind of been able to stay involved with the Reno Aces during this time and how you've been able to sort of keep your baseball calling skills in shape. Have you been like calling random games? Have you just kind of taken a break from calling baseball games? Like how, how has this whole year and a half or two kind of worked out for you?
1: So first of all, I mean, to answer the Reno question, they were, they've been phenomenal to me, like they owe me nothing. I'm their newest employee, but they, uh, they basically kept me on, on a part-time basis during the COVID year to do uh, a weekly podcast ACEs loaded, which was a lot of fun and not only was it a lot of fun, uh, not only did it allow me to make content for the ACEs, but it kind of allowed me to get to know people within diamondbacks organization. Like I talked with. You know a, a bunch of guys that not only were reno guys but but major league guys um so for them to to allow me to do that and give me the platform to do that and to keep me on like as an employee when they didn't have to was just amazing and they you know reached out to me the other day basically reassuring me hey like as soon as our season starts you're you know you're our guy like don't worry you know we're gonna we're gonna get you in here so I, uh, I could not be more, more grateful. Like, again, this is luck. Like I w- I have wound up at the best places and, and Reno's certainly on that list. Um, as far as calling baseball, I'll be honest, like I, I haven't, I'm going to be calling some, some baseball games for Pacific here in the next couple weeks. And those will be my first games since the A's game since September wow. of 2019. I think, I mean, it's something you don't lose the skill you don't lose, but I'll be honest, like I've, I've thought long and hard about getting baseball reps and what it's going to feel like and, and just kind of getting, uh, the day-to-day, uh, of baseball again, it's, uh, you know, after a year off, I'm sure it'll come right back. It'll be like riding a bike, but I am you know, I've certainly thought about it. And, uh, I would say that maybe my basketball broadcasts this year have suffered a little bit because I said this the other day, like baseball broadcasting works out all your broadcast muscles. Like if you can broadcast baseball, you can broadcast anything. So I'm, anxious to get back into a a baseball broadcast booth and to, to make sure I still have it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So obviously I kind of brought you on for the baseball talk, but I know you, you, like I said, you are just an insanely busy guy and I know you've been calling the UOP men's basketball games. Um, talk about how that experience has been just, especially in the midst of COVID how, like how honored or like, how honored are you to kind of be able to do something evolving play-by-play announcing during a time where it, it's probably very hard to actually do something like that. And you're probably, I'm guessing very thankful that you're able to kind of at least do something w- with everything going on right now.
1: I'm v- grateful would be the word. Like I'm, I'm very Perfect, grateful. Yeah. I get to do it. I'm grateful that Pacific has, I mean, I'm a tier one. They made me a tier one employee. So I get COVID tested three times a week so that I'm able to not only travel, but like sit on the floor with the team and be able to go wherever the team goes. Like there are some guys that are broadcasting, uh, games for their teams that are like tier two or tier three, meaning they, they have to keep their distance and they can't really do in-person interviews. Well, Pacific basically broke down those walls for me and said, Hey, you're going to be tier one and you can do whatever the team does go wherever they go and travel with them. So it was, uh, it was really cool of them to do that. It's, uh, it's been an interesting, an interesting year to say the least, as far as trying to plan your life, you know, the schedule came out, it was a super regional schedule. So it's not like there were crazy trips planned. Uh, but you know, we had a pause, let's see, we had a pause. I, I'm blanking on the David. We had a 24 day pause after December 20th, um, because the COVID and through the team. So that was an extended pause. And it's like, are we going to get this thing off the ground? Like this is, we had to miss a bunch of games. Uh, but you know, once we got into the WCC part of the season in, in January, it's been pretty steady. Uh, we've had to miss a, a few games because other teams have had COVID. Um, you know, but like, we're going to make up a game in San Diego next Tuesday. Um, it's just, you have to kind of be on your toes. You know, they told us we we're going to BYU like the day before we were going or like, "Yeah, you guys are getting on a plane tomorrow and going to Provo, Utah. It's like, well, okay. You know, like it's pack up and go. So it's, it's been a season where you can't really plan. You got to be on your toes. But again, I think you just kind of find the adventure in it all. And, uh, you, you'd be grateful that you're actually doing games and I'll do whatever I have to do to do games this year, whatever I have to do.
0: Definitely. How is how is traveling been in terms of obviously, you know, it's stayed kind of locally, you're not, you know, traveling, you know, across the country and stuff like that. But how, how is just traveling, you know, San Diego or wherever you're going, maybe down south or up north, like w- with everything going on with the restrictions? What, what do you do when you're not calling a game and you're traveling? Are you just you stuck in a hotel room? What, what are you able to do?
1: Yeah, you're basically in a hotel room. I'll take I'll take a few walks around the block like I might go somewhere and, you know, if there's a good takeout place like order some takeout um but like we're going to Portland this weekend and Portland's usually one of those cities where for a night I kind of like to go and and I have my spots that I like to go and and see. You know, it's cool to be in another city and the experience the vibe but not not this year like everything <laughs> is just kind of confined and you can't even like can't even go in the hotel gym and get a workout in because that's off limits, which is, I think the hardest thing for a lot of people on our team, especially our strength coach, because he'll take the guys in there and and get them worked out every day. And he he can't do that. Um, you know, he's been able to do a couple of things out like the pool area, but you know, some places frown on that. So it's, it's hit hit or miss there, but yeah, you just be as, as vigilant as you can. Uh, you know, you take as many walks around the block as you can, and then you're in, you're in the room and, you're calling a game and you're back in the room and you're in the airport. Like it's, it's, it's pretty regimented.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I just kind of wanted to uh, ask you one more question before I kind of wanted to just dive into some advice you'd give for people breaking into the industry and maybe talk about your life a little bit. I know you just recently had a kid and uh, how that's been, but uh, about broadcasting, just one last question. With this whole experience going on and w- with you kind of still being able to pursue your craft in terms of doing play-by-play for basketball, but not baseball, has this kind of made you more excited than ever just to get back in that broadcast booth for like a Reno Aces game, just taking such a long break, it's almost like you're able to rejuvenate your career in a way and is it does it almost feel like a fresh start because you've been just like hoping to get back in that booth for such a long time now?
1: Yeah, I think my friends and I, uh, the summer of 2020, we called it like a sabbatical. Like that's what it, that's what it felt like. It was just some time away knowing you, hopefully you'd be back. I mean, some of my friends aren't as lucky because you know, there've been a couple of franchises in minor league baseball eliminated by major league baseball, which is a whole other, you know, can of worms. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we want to open here, which it's just uh you know, that's a whole, it's changing the landscape of everything. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more excited, uh, to, <laughs> to get back in calling baseball. Like it's what I do. Like it's, it's, it's your identity. It's a big part of your identity. And when it's taken away from you, you know, you, you kind of, you struggle, like it's, it's one of the loves of my life. And I, I was without it. Um, and especially without it at, you know, a triple a level that I've tried, I've strived to kind of get to my whole career, um, to have it taken away at, at that point was tough, but Um, again, I'm, I'm lucky knowing that I'm going to get to be back there and and to get to be at that level. Whereas a lot of other people for a lot of other reasons, haven't been as lucky through this, this whole period, not just baseball wise, but COVID wise with, with friends and family getting sick and, you know, unfortunately passing away. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I am, I am dying to get back in the booth. Can't come soon enough.
0: Yeah. I think that's something I try to do too, in terms of obviously, especially in California, the restrictions are a a lot. You know more strict and i i think it's almost like we're able to sort of be excited for the future because once everything's able to get back up and open and once we're able to kind of get that sense of normalcy it's just going to feel so good you know just being able to go back to our day-to-day lives that we had almost like a year and a half ago from now mm-hmm. and to just kind of like get that excitement back and to just be thankful for what we had and i, I think whatever that time comes you know it, it's going to be incredible what,
1: what I do worry about though, and this is, this is another thing where it's like, it's going to depend on the landscape moving forward is I, I worry that, uh, it's not going to be the same as it once was in terms of being able to interact. And in terms of being able to, uh, be around people that you need to talk to, to get, to get like intimate stuff, you know, like, I mean, i go to batting practice every day and you, you watch BP and you interact with the guys, Um, I hope we'll be able to still do that. Um, you know, I think you go to different cities and you're able to, you know, maybe take a walk with someone like one of the players or coaches and go have lunch and get to know them a little bit better. I hope we're able to do that. Like, I hope it's not just, you know, Hey, we're, we're here and we're going into our hotel room and you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk face to face, you know, cause we can't. And I think that would change things quite a bit, but I'm, I'm hoping, uh, like once, once we're able to do that again, it'll make me feel a lot normal, a lot normal.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and that's something I think we all have to hope for is we really hope that, yeah, we can get back to that normalcy, but to be able to kind of ease it in that way, we can get the full benefit of of what we had because, you know, a lot of the times, you know, not to get political or anything, but, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff is kind of, you know, everything opens back up all of a sudden and then all of a sudden gets shut back down. And, you know, like you said, especially within the sports industry, I think it's important that we, you know maybe do 10% capacity, 20% capacity and just kind of ease it throughout the next few years even just so, you know, maybe even whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, we're able to get that experience that we once had to full effect. Um, Awesome. So I just kind of want to get into, you know, obviously you just had a kid. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit and just kind of about Zach uh, Beirutti's day-to-day life, whether you're traveling or, you know, at your beautiful home in Lodi, but let's, just kind of dive into what your what your personal life has been like over the past few months.
1: Yeah, so my, my wife, Megan and I, uh, we had our, our daughter, Nora Adele, uh, December twentieth, And, you know, she's perfect in every way. And, and fatherhood changes you a little bit, you know, I think before, before it's crazy to think about life before the pandemic. And, and Megan and I were just talking about it. Um, you know, going back to March of 2019, like I was looking at some emails, I'm sorry, from March of uh, of 2020. I'm like, man, like this is before, like our daughter was even conceived before there was a pandemic, like it was just a completely different place. But I I guess, you know, like fatherhood changes you and a pandemic changes you a little bit to have those two things happen at once has been really uh, interesting. It's it's also been kind of in a way for me a blessing because I've been home when when normally I might be gone a little bit more. So I've been able to be around my daughter and, um, you know, experience the day to days of of fatherhood and baby infancy and, 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 uh, it's a, it's a beautiful thing and it's a, it's a magical, uh, journey and then we're just at the start. So, uh, that's pretty much consumed my day to day life outside of things at, at Pacific. I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, this week, I guess we're going to maybe get a baseball schedule, preliminary baseball schedule. We'll see what that entails and and kind of plan life for when hopefully I'll be in, in Reno and, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it and. And our, you know, Megan and our daughter will come up and, and kind of be around as much as they can. But, you know, for now, I'm just really focused on my daughter and, and whatever Pacific needs me to do, which is cool because it's I am mean, everything's right here and local.
0: That's great. That's great stuff. And, you know, it's funny, I'm I'm literally in Lodi, too. You know, we're probably within five minutes of each other. And, you know, I think it's a great city just to, you know, relax a little bit on off days and especially to raise a family. So it sounds like, you know, you, you got spot. yourself. Yeah, got yourself set up pretty well um so just real quickly before we dive into some baseball talk i just kind of want to you know pick your brain a little bit for some advice for myself and just for all the listeners uh, you know whether it's podcasters or athletes or really just anybody um so i know you you, you know you've been on podcasts and you have even hosted some podcasts you, you've done play-by-play broadcasting and you've done sports writing you've done all of this stuff and you've really been able to kind of get Break into every aspect, not every aspect, but a lot of different um, angles of the sports industry. So, from kind of starting at zero in terms of, you know, growing up just being a sports fan to kind of getting to that point where your job is to love sports 24 7. What kind of advice would you give from getting from where you're just a sports fan as a kid to, like I said, being able to just love sports 24 7 and, you know, getting paid for it?
1: Um, well, at first you have to have the passion, which could evolve. Um, and I would, you know, I would say, don't be afraid to evolve with the passion. Like for me, my passion was being a fan up until I was, you know, say 22 to, to 25, like it was intense passion. And now my passion is kind of consuming in a in a different way and telling stories about it and, uh, and, and conveying the, uh, the, uh, feel of what's going on at a ballpark or an arena. Like to me, that that's the most special thing is you can envision someone, you know, if you're doing a radio broadcast, you can envision someone in their car or on a run or sitting somewhere being like, Hey, I'll flip this game on. And like, you're literally conveying to them what's happening at this place. Um, And to me, there's no more powerful medium than doing that over the radio. And especially for, for baseball play by play, where there's so many intricacies and there's so much to look at and there's so much to tell people about. Um, so have the, have the passion for it. Um, and also, you know, have, have the passion for storytelling and for, for gathering information and, and for being, you know, I I guess just an available person to people along the way. Um, it's amazing how, when you, you know, say you get your first job out of college, you know, you develop relationships with certain people and those relationships get you, you know, other relationships. And then those relationships get you kind of the next step ahead. Um, you know, you, you just have to be open to whatever whatever, any, whatever life throws at you, and whatever uh, relationships come your way. Um, I know that kind of sounds a little bit convoluted, but that's really what it is. Like you're, you have the passion, you have the, the skills to be able to, to kind of do that. And execute that. And then you have the relationships that bind it all together. And ultimately I think get you where you're going down the road.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely convoluted. So, you know, don't, don't, don't feel ashamed for using that word. I, I definitely think it is. And uh, again, I think it is just comes down to making.
1: There's no right, what I'm trying to say is there's no right path. Like everyone's like, Oh, how do you, how do you do this? Like there's no arithmetic involved. Like it's you you literally have to have uh, a feel for it. And and you have to be open to whatever comes your way.
0: Definitely, yeah. And I, again, I think it's just all about making those connections. And you know, it's all about networking because w- without doing that, you're you're not. I feel like that is probably the only concrete thing you have to do to break into the sports industry. And that's kind of something everyone has to do. Is you do have to network and make those connections and meet the people that kind of get you to that next step. And so, you know, hearing that from you is awesome. And, you also
1: like Austin. You have to also have to do it the right way. Yep. Um, because there are people that are so desperate to, to do this and get into this and they go about it the wrong way. Like they think it's like almost like a sport. Um, you know, I can't stress the the importance of doing it the right way, being on your journey and, uh, and, and just, I, I think appreciating every step, but also like, instead of looking at someone as a, as a key to your next step, like you look at someone as an acquaintance and as a, as a, as a coworker and as a colleague and, you know, you're, you're honest with them and and that's how you, you kind of move forward and, and develop relationships. So you like, you don't think to yourself, like, oh, this is going to get me here. Like, no, that's, that's not the way it works in, in the long run. It may, it may work in the short term, but in the long run, like that never works.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank Thank you for that. Thank you for kind of jumping in and, you know, fixing kind of what I said uh, again, obviously I, I'm very, you know, oh, you're I, fine.
1: I wasn't fixing what you're saying. I'm just, I'm reiterating like, No, yeah. No, thank you. I I
0: really appreciate that. And that's awesome for our audience to just kind of hear. Before we get into the baseball talk again, I just want to thank you for hopping on and not only sharing your story about how you fell in love with sports and how you broke into not just the sports industry, but specifically play by play broadcasting, but for also sharing a little bit about your personal life and for just giving some insight on you know, young, aspiring people, you know, sports journalists, aspiring sports broadcasters, sports analysts, just whatever they want to do. Just, uh, I think your advice just kind of relates with anybody who wants to break into the sports industry. And I like how you kept it broad. And again, I really appreciate you for talking about all that. Oh, my pleasure. Cool, all right, uh, let, let's get into some baseball talk. First, I kind of want to touch on some of the rule changes that we've seen over the last couple of years and we've touched on this and I'd love to pick your brain about this just because obviously being a play-by-play broadcaster, you basically know the ins and outs of how the game is played and how the game maybe should be played in your eyes. Um, so first off, something I honestly just kind of figured out over the you know the past like few weeks is what's happening in uh, spring training where managers can basically, defensive managers can end an inning and just kind of say, all right, that's it. Um, you know, I think the, the pitcher has to at least pitch uh, 20 pitches, but basically if there's two outs and, you know, the pitcher's going through a rough patch, even if the fielder, may, even if the shortstop makes an error and someone gets on base after that, you know, play, they can just end the inning. Um, what do you think about that? And I, I know, you know, I don't really know much about it something like that, but, you know, especially with spring training and, you know, trying to just get people in baseball shape in such a short amount of time. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, spring training is spring training. Like spring training is basically a glorified exhibition and you, they make up the rules as they go along with those. So, um, I'm not, I'm not offended by that at all. And I'm, I'm a baseball traditionalist. Don't get me wrong, but if you want to do something like that in spring training, like I understand it, um, you know, the, the game is just evolving that way where everybody's focused on load management and pitch counts and, uh, and things like that. So for me, if they want to do that in spring training, I don't think that's going to be the, the wave of the future for actual games, but yeah, you know, spring training, you don't want a guy out there wearing it for 40 pitches. Uh, that's, that's obviously having a tough time. Like it's, you know, it's, it's okay. I think at that point to, to say, Hey, you know, this is an exhibition, and, and we're, we're going to turn the page and just, and just move on here. So I'm fine with that for, for spring training. Yeah,
0: definitely. I I completely agree with you. I really hope that's not the future of the game going into regular season and playoff games. But I think, like you said, I think the point of spring training is literally, you know, glorified exhibition and just getting baseball players in baseball shape to actually go into now 162 game season. Obviously it was only 60 games last year. So I think that, you know, whatever they can do to make sure that players are going to be in the best shape for the regular season is obviously priority. Um, But let's talk about some rule changes that are actually going to be still in place for uh, the regular season. I know one of the the, the big controversies is having a runner start at second base for extra inning games. And as a traditionalist, I kind of know what your thoughts are going to be on this. And I kind of agree with you in terms of, I don't know. I'll I'll let you start, but you know, runner on second base for extra any games during the regular season. Give us your, give us your take on that.
1: I don't really like it. And and I'm, 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 you know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I was sure if you'd asked me this when minor league baseball implemented it in the start of 2019, I was sure that I was always going to be in the majority of people that hated it. Now I feel like I'm in the minority. Like I feel like there's some people that are starting to come around on it and you know, look, if you want to do it in the minor leagues, I, okay. Okay. You know, I'll concede that. Um, but major leagues, I I just don't, it's not my cup of tea. I, I, I don't ever mind a game that is going into like the 19th inning and it, to me there, there becomes a certain charm about it. Uh, there becomes a certain, you know, it just becomes memorable in your mind. Like I still remember major league baseball games that I've watched that have gone into like the 18th, 19th, 20th inning. And you're like, man, like this is a classic, like this is such a battle. Um, you know, it's just, we're it's again, sports are evolving and they're going in a different direction, but, um, I hope that doesn't become permanent at the major league level. Um, I could see, and maybe I could even concede you know, if a game gets to like the 14th inning, maybe then you start the runner at second base, um, you know, just so you're not burning through arms. But, you know, I, I, I cling to I cling to the traditions hard and I'm uh, I'm just a traditionalist and I, I don't like it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely also, you know, games that go into the 16th inning, 19th inning, you know, 1am where, you know, 80% of the fans have left, but the 20% that are there are just passionate fans and they're not going to leave till the game is over. I think all of that just makes baseball as unique and amazing as it is. And yeah, I agree with you just having a runner at second base from the jump, you know, as soon as you hop into the 10th inning, I just feel like is a little, I don't know. Again, like you said, I think it, it is kind of being in the minority because a lot of baseball fans are very prone for offense. They, they want runs. They want home runs. They want it to, they want 12 to 12 games that are going to be a final score of 13 to 12 after 10 innings. And, you know, like basketball, football, fans you know, don't you
1: know, want that though. Like baseball yeah. thinks, baseball mm-hmm. thinks that fans want that. And yeah. that's where baseball, like to me, that's where baseball has it wrong. Uh, that's where a lot of the leadership in baseball has it wrong is that, you know, they they have this inferiority complex to, to the NFL and the NBA Yeah. like no like like most baseball fans love a pitcher's duel yeah you know um yeah yeah, you might not get as many twitter clips for a pitcher's duel as you would you know for a home run derby you know eight to six ball game through five but who cares like the people that really appreciate baseball for what it is they're not looking for that so i hope uh, i hope they come to their senses with
0: that yeah no that's a really good point you bring up um so about like having a universal DH, uh, there's expanded playoffs, uh, they're not doing it this time around, but just a- as a concept, uh, having a universal DH, you know, I- I'm a huge Giants fan, obviously Madison Bumgarner, uh, one of the best hitting pitchers in the game in probably this whole decade. I love seeing pitchers hit, seeing a pitcher hit a home run is one of the best things to see in my opinion. So Personally, I think having the uniqueness of having the DH in the American League and in in the National League, you know, letting the pitchers go up and, you know, try and hit a home run. I I love that. Uh, So what are your thoughts on, you know, universal DH?
1: You know, I grew up with the DH as a a Red Sox fan growing up, you know, the American League was, it was pretty much all I knew because when I was growing up, they didn't even have interleague play until I was well into my teens. So. I yeah I like I like having both. I like the American League having the DH and the National League not. I think it's it's cool. I think no matter what your cup of tea is, you can get a different experience going from league to league. I don't think we need a universal DH and to be honest, like I mean, you know, when I moved here, like it was the first time I was in a market that had a National League team and the Giants. So I had to really kind of relearn the game as far as the strategy um, you know, in the chess playing, if you will, with, with using the pitcher's spot. And it was really fascinating to me and I really enjoyed it. I also like listening to an A's game and be like, oh yeah, like we don't have to deal with the pitcher swinging <laughs> swing the bat. Like we get to see a dude that wants to get up there and and basically just, he's up there to mash. So I like having both and I don't think there's a need to change it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what about expanded playoffs? I, I think for me, I, I think when it comes to baseball, just having I don't know. I feel like I can go either way. It just kind of depends on how major league baseball actually organizes it. I know they, you know, had the best, like two out of three series, which was, I think a pretty interesting concept. Um, Do do you kind of like just having, you know, like the 10 teams, you know, having the wild, you know, the one game wild card and then going straight into the divisional round. What what do you think of expanded playoffs and kind of, should it stay expanded or should it kind of go back to how it was?
1: I'm okay with the one game wild card. Yeah. Um. I, I'm okay with that. I, expanding it beyond that in a traditional year, like, you know, COVID year is different, obviously, but in a traditional year, no, like I, I don't really want it diluted. I, I don't want the, I don't want the teams diluted that are in the playoffs. Like I want, you know, I want there to be an incentive to win your division. And then I, you know, I, I think it's cool to have those one game playoffs because you basically engage a bunch of other fan bases maybe for, for as as long as a month or two, uh, toward the home stretch of the season where otherwise they wouldn't have any hope. So I I'm for that. I just think that you gotta be careful whenever you talk about expanding playoffs, like you, you don't want to do it at the expense of, you know, it's a, a team that dominates wins a division in the regular season. And then some, some team gets in there that basically finished 500 and gets hot. You know, like I, you just, you just have to be careful with that in my
0: opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously you've kind of become almost this diehard A's fan and Red Sox fan. Um, how, what, let's start with the Red Sox though. Um, what do you see the Red Sox kind of doing this year in terms, you know, that division they're in with with the Yankees and and the Rays, obviously I think it's going to be a a tough sled for them, but what, what do you think the, the Red Sox, you know, are going to do this year and maybe, you know, in their next, you know, three, five years, what do you think their future's like?
1: I have no idea. I have no idea. Like the Red Sox are the Red Sox might as well be, you know, Siberia right now. Like I I'm so far removed because they, you know, they don't have an organization here on the West Coast as far as a minor league organization. Like I could tell you, you know, a little bit about the Seattle Mariners. I could probably tell you more about, you know, the Mariners and the Rockies and teams that have affiliates on the West Coast because I see their their minor league operations, but like the Red Sox haven't been out here since 2008 when they had to be in Lancaster for 2 years. Um, so I really don't know what the future looks like for them. Um, I, I was bummed that they basically gave Mookie Betts away to the Dodgers. I I think that was a mistake. And, you know, obviously they're, they're having a bit of an identity crisis right now, so, you know, good luck to them. I, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I just know they have a lot of, I think they have a lot of goodwill to build back up with that, with that fan base. I mean, I know the family of four going to Fenway, it costs you a pretty penny and to, to, you know, say goodbye to a guy like Mookie Betts, who's worth the price of admission, that's a tough, that's a tough position to put yourself in. So, um, you know, I think they obviously need to rebuild and they need to find another guy like a, like a Mookie Betts, but that guy doesn't come along you know, they're not a diamond dozen. It's it's tough to find a guy like that. So I think they need to find another cornerstone player and for sure rebuild their farm system.
0: Awesome. Let's, let's dive into the A's then. I know, you, you know, you can definitely probably, you know, you probably have a little more knowledge on that. Um, obviously the, the A's have, it, it's been a little bit tough sledding for them, especially, you know, obviously they're a great team. One of the best teams in baseball, honestly. And, you know, they get into the playoffs and whether it's them choking or, you know, it's just kind of hard for them to actually make a playoff run. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts, especially because you're in that minor league system in terms of, you know, the A's, you know, short-term slash long-term future, or, or maybe just kind of how the A's are going to be in the present this year. Uh, give me your, your take on the Oakland A's this year. The A's are like that battery that never dies, right? Like
1: the A's just kind of have, they have life. It seems like forever. They're always competitive every year. They're never going to be like, the super team, you know, like the, the Houston Astros uh, that had all those superstars or the, even the Dodgers that right now have all the superstars. Um, I think the A's are gonna, there's like a sustainability about the A's and the way they do business and the way they groom players. A lot of times it's, it's really hard and cutthroat, especially for fans, like to see certain players walk, you know, um, like Marcus Simeon, they, he just, he walked, you know, because it was a matter of dollars, I guess, but. Um, you know the the A's are always going to be that team that finds a way to stay competitive, um, and that's from talking to their their farm director uh, a while back, Keith Lemon. who was their longtime farm director. He goes, look, the genius of the A's is that we never threw in the towel like the Astros threw in the towel for those all those years, and basically collected those you know number one overall picks. Like the A's are never going to do that. So, uh, you know, I think the A's will, will be they'll be sustainable. I think. They're very much in limbo as far as the new ballpark goes. I think if they get a new ballpark that changes the dynamic of, of how they do business, but until then, you know, I think they still see themselves as a, as a team that is not going to have people spending money at the gate to get into the Coliseum. So they're going to have to find other ways to go about winning and sustaining. And I think we'll find out a lot about what the long-term holds for the A's in the next couple of years, when, when the ballpark situation gets resolved, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I think that's something we love to see, though. We, we definitely, you know, as sports fans, I think most of us don't really like to see teams tank for for number one through five picks. And as a Giants fan, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to have a rough few years. Uh, but watching them last year in that 60-game season, they were really competitive. and they. I, I,
1: I think they'll be okay. I, think oh, yeah. the, I don't think there's going to be a rough few years. I think they'll be okay. I think Farhan has a plan. And, uh, yeah. you know, they have guys in their system. I think they'll be okay. But you just, you know. I think mean, Giants fans got spoiled for a while. I mean, and they oh, got yeah. lucky. They won three three World Series. So I, I think, you know, that factors into it as well. Like, the expectations maybe have to be tempered a little
0: bit. You no, know, no, that's the thing. Like, I'm good. Uh, three World Series, that's incredible. So I, I, I'm perfectly fine with, you know, not making the playoffs for a couple of years. I just, I, I was touching on just, it's really nice to just see your team be competitive, whether you're winning sure. or losing games. And that's kind of what the Giants did last year. And gosh, those, the, the, I don't know if you ever watched, I don't know if you watched those Ace Giants games last year where the Giants had these humongous leads going into the ninth inning and the Ace took every single one. That was, I did. That was incredible, man. Pretty wild. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's fun. Yeah. Sorry I about think it. The, it's good. Uh, again, I have nothing against the A's. I actually think that, you know, honestly, I'd probably take the A's as my second favorite team. I, I don't have much rivalry there. I'm with the Dodgers. I, can't stand them. But, cool. um, yeah, I think the A's and the Giants, you know, whether they're, you know, going to make a playoff push or whether they're just, you know, going to, you know, kind of stay competitive. I, I think it's still going to be fun as a fan as, of, as a Giants fan or an A's fan, I think it'll be fun to watch them this year.
1: Oh, for sure. It's going to be baseball. It's going to be fun no matter what.
0: Yeah. Uh, I kind of just wanted to hop into the, the NL West battle. Uh, obviously the Padres and the Dodgers are absolutely loaded. Um, I was actually, you know, I have a few friends that are Dodger fans, and when Trevor Bauer (laughs) signed with the Dodgers, I was just telling them, look, and it's not completely true. It's just me being a little biased Giants fan, but I was was basically just telling them, like, look, on paper, you guys by far have the best team in baseball. If you don't win three World Series in the next, like, six years, then that's going to be pretty disappointing, and I know baseball's completely different. It's a lot harder to actually win a bunch of World Series in a short amount of time, but I don't know I I think that Dodgers team is by far on paper probably the best team in baseball and I think as a Dodgers fan, I was just telling them like look you guys are not going to have much to listen to or watch until they actually make it to the playoffs because you already know they're going to be the team to beat and so what do you think of that uh, that NL West battle though with the Dodgers and Padres having loaded lineups and pitching rotations.
1: I'll tell you, this is scary thing about the Dodgers is that they got, they got all their pieces at the big league level without giving up their elite minor league prospects. So they no. are fully loaded at the, the minor league level too. So they've, they've actually, they built the right way. I think they've used their resource the right way without compromising their long-term plan with the, with the minor leaguers and those uh-huh. kids. Um, the Padres have had to do things a little bit uh, differently. Uh, they have uh yeah, they've had to spend a little money. They've had to trade some of their blue chip prospects, but I think the Padres kind of had this awareness that, Hey, if we don't do this, we're, we're basically screwed because the Dodgers are here and they're here to stay. So AJ Preller's had to be aggressive in the free agent market. And it's going to be really fascinating to see what, what happens down in Southern California. I like that Padres team. I like the makeup of it. Yeah. And I can tell you they, they do have some guys at the top level minor leagues that are impact type players. So Uh, you know, I think the Dodgers are a little bit deeper as far as the farm system, but Padres are going to be right there with them in terms of excitement.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it just as a giants fan as well. I really do hope the Padres can kind of make some damage in terms of, you know, being maybe possibly the top threat in the entire national league to the Dodgers. And I think that's a high, you know, it's a good possibility. Um, so with being with the Reno aces, how. You know, we kind of touched on the Diamondbacks a little bit, maybe. Um, So, do you see yourself becoming a Diamondbacks fan of any sort? You know, over the next few years, do you think you're going to be a, a, a triple threat fan—Red Sox, <laughs> A's, and Diamondbacks?
1: You know, fan is a uh, fan is a relative term uh, for for <laughs> me and for you know, especially my colleagues these days. You know, if you if you start getting into this and, and years into this, um I think you root you root for people, you know, obviously you pull for your organization, um, you know, because you get to know people in the organization and get to like them hopefully and see the big vision that they have. And and obviously you're there every day as it's being executed, but, um, I'll always root for, I think now I'll always root for people first. Um, you know, and, and if, if I'm lucky enough to get hired by whatever team, you know, obviously you root for that team. I mean, you're, you're tied to their brand and their success. So yeah, I guess in a way I, I, I will be, um, I guess I'll just say I'm, I'm emotionally invested in, in a few different teams, uh, now, in, including
0: the Diamondbacks. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something I've kind of realized about myself over the past few months. Um, I'm not quite sure if you play fantasy sports at all, like fantasy football, basketball, you know, or baseball. I, no. I can't,
1: I can't yeah. because, uh, because of, uh, the thing I signed with Pacific, uh, gotcha. they, don't, they don't let you do that. Gotcha. So, so I can't, I mean, I can follow along my friends do, you know, but
0: I, yeah. I, Yeah. So I I think for me, this is kind of the point I was touching on is I've, over the last few months, just, I I love fantasy sports and I've actually been able to kind of realize like, wow, I'm literally rooting for like separate players on these separate teams. And I think, I think that's really cool just in terms of if you are going to break into the sports industry, you probably are going to start, like you said, rooting for people and and being fans of, uh, of separate players and their journeys and, you know, obviously you, you end up being tied to your organizations. Like I'm a diehard Kings fan and I'm a diehard Giants fan. But, you know, with football, like I got really into fantasy football this year and I started kind of rooting for separate players on separate teams. And I think that might be something I, I start doing is, you know, not only rooting for a team, but kind of rooting for players around the league. So and you can,
1: I mean, don't get me wrong, like root, root for your team. You know, I think that's yeah. where it all stems. Like if I didn't root for the Red Sox as hard as I did when I was – growing up and even in college, like I, I wouldn't be doing this now. So I think that's an important element to have as you as you kind of journey into this.
0: Yeah, um, before we wrap this whole episode up, just kind of want to get some predictions out of you for the baseball season. Um, we, we can dive into a World Series prediction as well, but uh, who's a team that you see kind of, uh, maybe an underdog team or a team that isn't, you know, obviously you can say the A's, but you know, just going around Major League Baseball, uh, do you have a team that's gonna kind of upset you know in terms of uh, beat the expectations that they have and you know maybe make a playoff push and you know have a, has a lot of young talent that you see kind of making a playoff push that people don't really have doing that this year. I
1: mean, is anyone talking about the Rays? I feel like people. I feel <laughs> no like <one>. the Rays. <laughs> I feel like the Rays are in there every year and still no, no like no one talks about them. Like if I were putting a, a futures bet in in Vegas on a team to win the World Series. I bet you get great odds with the raise. And I'm, I would take that like that. That would be a great, a great bet to make because nobody talks about them. They're in a, they're in a crappy market as, as far as, you know, they're, they're down in South Florida at a lousy stadium. I've been there. It sucks. Um, but they, they ball out. Like they always yeah, have yeah. dudes and uh, I think they embrace kind of being that forgotten about team. So I, I I throw the Rays in there perennially uh, every year. Um, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to give you a West coast team. You know, I know the Mariners have a lot of electric talent coming up. Like Kyle Lewis is going to be sensational. Um, the angels have Joe Adele coming up. He's going to be sensational. I don't know if those teams have enough around them, especially in the pitching department to be kind of a dark horse world series type team. Um, you know, and maybe the A's still do. I think the A's might surprise some people if they can, if they can, you know, hopefully pull everything together and, 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 uh, maybe find a couple of pieces that they lost. You know, I mean, obviously the losing Simeon hurts, um, you know, losing, losing a couple of arms hurts, but, but I'd never count the A's out. They always seem to find players that can, can patch them through.
0: Yeah, uh, you kind of touched on it with uh, the Mariners and the Angels, but is there any players that are either, you know, gonna, you think, break into the majors this year or have been just absolutely tearing it up in the minor leagues? Uh, maybe on the West Coast that you've kind of observed over the last couple years that you kind of see breaking out this year in the majors?
1: Is this with the A's or just in general?
0: Or maybe both, just in general, just from your observation, just watching, you know, the, the ports and, you know you know, obviously being involved with the Reno mm-hmm. Aces, just anybody you've seen.
1: Uh, with the A's, uh, certainly Jesus Lizardo. Uh I know he's already kind of gotten there a little bit, but I, I I would look to him to be kind of ace of the staff type of material going forward. Um, and then I, I'd go back to those those two other guys that I mentioned, Kyle Lewis and, and Joe Adele with the Mariners and the Angels. Uh, those, those are going to be two pretty special players coming up here on the West Coast to keep an eye out for. You know, it's funny, like I feel so far removed from baseball. I wish I could actually give you a, a more... In-depth answer to the question, but I feel so far like it's been a long time since I've called a minor league baseball game and actually seen uh, seen these guys at uh, at, at a professional level. Uh, I mean, last year, you know, I think mean, Joe Adele got got up some big some uh, big league games in uh, in in Anaheim, and uh, obviously Kyle Lewis did. He had an incredible catch uh, on a foggy night in Seattle uh, last year, but. I think those are going to be two players that you you're going to hear a lot from in the years to come
0: yeah it's really interesting because over the past few months i've been so into football and basketball and honestly baseball was always like my sport like i was a huge giants fan i was usually into baseball more than the other two but i think i've again i mean obviously i haven't i'm not a play-by-play broadcast or anything but i think being removed from baseball for so long this interview in itself has really just gotten me so excited for the baseball season to start. And uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, we're, we're about what a month and a half away from opening day. And so it's going to be really exciting just to especially get a whole 162 game season. Obviously we don't really know how that's going to work out. Hopefully Finger exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, last year was 60 games and that was so different. And, you know, obviously with the 162 game season, that kind of changes a lot of the dynamics of things and whether teams can actually, you know, have a good second half of the season. And so it's going to be really fun. And I'm really excited for it. Um, before I wrap this up, give me your world series prediction coming out of the national league and the American league and, uh, give me a pick.
1: Wow. This is, I mean, this is, this is like literally throwing darts at a board. Yeah.
0: Throw the darts at the board, man. I, I don't expect you to give me, you know, sports bettors don't have to listen to you. This is just for fun. I'll give you my pick too.
1: Uh, I'm going to say that the Dodgers are going to come out of the NL. It's just so tough for me to discount the firepower there. Um, The, the American league is going to be very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, God, I hate picking. I hate picking the Yankees. Uh, So I'm going to pick the Rays. I'll go with the rematch. Okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, I actually, my, my very first episode was with a baseball player and we kind of made some world series picks and I had the Dodgers coming out of the national league too. Like you said, on paper and actually playing on the field and the way they're just orchestrated. It just doesn't seem like you have to pick them. It would be weird to not pick them unless you're trying to make, you know, a hot take, uh, yeah Dodgers out of the National League and I actually do have the Yankees coming out of the American League for me and I know as a Red Sox fan that hurts you and you know Uh, that's okay I think uh
1: talented oh yeah they are talented so I I would not I would not put it past them I just I, I don't have it in my in my blood to pick them so yeah no,
0: exactly yeah I think the especially that Dodgers Yankees matchup I think that's been a World Series that everybody's kind of been waiting for for a long time especially you know, the Yankees have, have just come up short a few times over the past few years. And obviously the Dodgers have been one of the best teams in baseball for the past 10 years. And so that's kind of been a marquee matchup that a lot of, you know, MLB analysts and experts have been predicting at the start MLB of the MLB would love it. They would win oh, yeah. that World Series. Exactly, yeah. That, it would make them a lot of money for sure. A lot, a lot of stars on, on both teams. And so, that, yeah, that's my pick. And I, I like your pick too. And I think uh, I think a Dodgers race rematch would be great, especially if the race came out on top. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'd love to see that too. Cool. Um, So that kind of wraps up our episode. Again, Zach, thank you so much for joining. I I honestly just absolutely love the conversation we had and I love the energy that you bring and it kind of helps me keep my energy throughout the episode too. And so just some incredible conversation about you and about your journey and especially some MLB talk. It was just great to kind of get your kind of insider analysis on some of these younger guys that hopefully are going to break out in the majors because I know you have a lot more information on that than I do just because I've always kind of focused on the major leagues and not until recently have I actually kind of went under the tunnel and kind of tried to, you know, pick out some of these minor leaguers. So I really appreciate your, your insight on some of that. And I just, again, thank you for hopping on. I really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. You got it, man. And Hey, best of luck moving forward. Uh, always, of course you can use me as a resource whenever you need, but, um, just never lose your passion. Uh, never lose your, uh, your drive and, and always be yourself, uh, no matter what. And I think that's the best thing I can tell you: is just be yourself and never be afraid to evolve.
0: Awesome, thank you. I really appreciate that, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Austino Sports Talk. Again, one episode per week. Stay tuned on Instagram at Austino Sports Talk. I'm also on Twitter at Austino Sports. And also look up Zach Baerudy on Twitter. He has an awesome Twitter account with some great feed about what he's been up to and what he's continuing to do, especially with the uh, UOP men's basketball right now. He, he's, he's, he's still doing a lot of sports stuff in sort of an era where you would think that it would be a little hard, but not for him. So again, thank you for listening and have a great day, everybody. Peace out.